Hey, welcome Valley family. Thanks for joining us today as we're kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Out of the Cave. We're going to be talking about depression and anxiety, just what the Bible has to say about it. And, and I hope through this process also kind of removing the stigma uh, when it comes to talking about these topics. I think we're going to be pretty surprised at how practical uh, God's word is. He wants to help you because Jesus came uh, to save you. He loves you and, and to save you spirit, soul, and body. And that means our minds uh, as well. And so uh, again, thank you for joining us. Now on our online campus, I just want to be real honest. I think this is going to be really good uh, content and everything. But in person, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more depth and detail uh, from my own personal life because I'm not immune to anxiety and depression just like anyone else, but uh, I, I don't really want that out there everywhere, uh, you, you know, online for people to view anytime they want to. So if you want the, the nitty-gritty details, uh, join us in person uh, next week, and we'll be going into some more details about my own story here. But the whole thing is that really depression and anxiety are not malfunctions of the mind. Uh, they're, 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 they're really, what they are is they're signals that something's, something's wrong there. That, that there's, there's some, some pain that really needs to be uh, dealt with. It's, it's kind of like, uh, as you think about this idea, the stigma to depression and anxiety, that, that there's still a lot to. It, it's almost like, like right now I have contacts in my eyes, uh, and, and I do that because I don't like my glasses fogging up, especially when I preach. I, I do wear glasses most of the time when I'm home and all. But you see a person with glasses, uh, you, you don't think, ooh, there's something wrong with them. What, what it means is this, part of their body is not uh, functioning as effectively as it could. That's what glasses mean, no big deal. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to uh, depression and anxiety. Our mind is part of our body, and, and what it means is part of our body is not functioning as effectively as it could be. And so we just need to kind of remove the stigmatism from this. Uh, what we're gonna find is some of the real great people in the Bible actually you know, had to fight against anxiety and depression as well. And, and uh, I think this is gonna be a real empowering series to say the least. And, and so here's the first thing I wanna just say in terms of a blanket statement general statement just just moving forward in this message series is this my illness is not my identity your illness is not your identity you can't claim don't don't hang on to if if you are depressed right now and you're battling with anxiety and those two often kind of go together we get anxious about things we begin to worry and, and you know what comes on the heels of that is depression and so anxiety they're kind of like cousins uh they work together uh in tandem together so my illness is not my identity. Your illness is not your identity. That's a really important statement. And so what does the Bible have to say about depression and anxiety and God's will as far as God's will is concerned in those? Well, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's freedom from sin. And I think it also, for the sake of our conversation, can also be applied free from depression, free from anxiety. And the reality is, as I said, many really great, uh, powerful people of God throughout the Bible wrestled with depression and anxiety. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible that's all about depression called Lamentations. 
Lamentations. And let's look at it in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. Uh, the, the writer of Lamentations puts it this way. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. That's pretty, that's pretty depressed right there. And it goes on and it says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Whole entire book of the Bible written from a perspective of someone who's in a depression. And so obviously, you know, it's not something that repulses God. God understands and there's a remedy for it. Sometimes that remedy can be because of the depression, the anxiety, can be because of a chemical imbalance in our lives, and, and we need to get some medical help in that regard, and, and, uh, and, and I don't discourage that at all. I have, I have relationships close to me that people had to actually get a little antidepressants to help them during a difficult time. Nothing wrong with that at all. But one of the things I think that largely uh, is overlooked when it comes to really fighting or battling depression, anxiety, is, is really a lot of things that we do to ourselves that cause depression and anxiety that are really somewhat of an easier fix if we're just a little bit more attentive to those warning signs in our life. And, and you know, not only the writer of, of Lamentations, but Paul the Apostle himself uh, look at what he said in terms of ministry, and there's so many pastors I know that really struggle with depression and anxiety. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, it, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. So he's sharing this, he's being transparent, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And so if, if the... Apostle Paul said, I was despairing of life myself. He knew what it was like to be depressed. He knew what it was like to battle anxiety. Then I think we're in good company and, and we don't need to, again, you know, kind of make this a taboo conversation or topic and shy away from it. We need to remove the stigmatism so we can be open and we can be honest about our struggles. In the Old Testament, and that's really what I want to kind of focus on in this series, in the Old Testament, one of the greatest heroes of the faith in the Old Testament majorly struggled with depression, and that was the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is very interesting as we jump into the story here. Let me give you the background. The prophet Elijah just had a phenomenal victory incredible victory where he defeated over 800 false prophets of Baal. I, I mean, just called down fire from heaven, all this just amazing spiritual victory. And right on the heels of it goes into a depression. So many times after the highest of the highs comes the lowest of the lows. You know what they call Monday uh, after Easter for pastors, they, they refer to it as Blue Monday because a lot of pastors just go in the tank right after Easter, literally within 24 hours of, of the, the Super Bowl for church, you know, for Christianity, uh, go right into the tank. 
And, and again, in person, I'm going to be sharing some things about what, what I've seen in my own life, what I've experienced, and how to really kind of remedy those things in a, in a practical way from my own story. But we're going to look at Elijah here and look at what happens after this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. We're picking it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. It says, now Ahab, he was the king at the time, wicked king, told Jezebel, she was the queen, everything Elijah had done, this incredible victory that he experienced, and how he he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, that, like one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Think about this. He, he just was responsible for over 800 false prophets, just, just incredible victory over them, literally, physically, and spiritually, and basically, he just gets one bad comment on his Instagram post, and he goes to pieces. One little tweet from Jezebel, and he becomes unhinged. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, watch this, he left his servant there. Huge mistake. We're going to see isolation. When he needed to be around people, instead, he distanced himself, isolated himself, and look at what ends up happening. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush, in other words, a low-hanging bush that he crawled up underneath for shade, excuse me, and, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What's significant here is that when he came uh, to Beersheba, uh, that's actually the place, when he, when, when he comes to this area, that's the place that he answered God's call on his life. So he goes back to that place near Beersheba, and, and he's like, I'm done. I got a mean little tweet, and I'm done. S someone didn't like what I did yesterday in ministering... <laughs> In fulfilling my calling, someone didn't agree with something I've said, and I'm done. And he went into this major, major depression, literally asked God to die him. And he says, I I'm no better than my ancestors. We we'll swing back to that in just a minute. So, so how do we end up in a cave? There's six things, I think, just in this one passage, six things that we bring on ourselves. I'm, I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance. Again, if you have that, you need to get medical attention for that and get something to help. But these are voluntary things that we do to put ourselves in a cave that Elijah did also. Let's look at them. First of all, life imbalances. Life imbalances. Uh, a great author uh, uh, on, in terms of psychology, depression, all that, uh, Stephen Ilardi, he put it this way, we were never de designed for sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. God didn't create you and I to live a lot of times at the pace that you and I live at. Just because we can do it right now, it doesn't mean it's sustainable. Given enough time, we will have a breakdown. Emotional breakdown, mental breakdown, physical breakdown. We, we just weren't meant to, we, we, our life is out of balance. And, and, and we do that to ourselves. Because here's the thing, either you make your own schedule or someone's gonna 
make it for you. And the older I've gotten, I've just learned, I've got to guard my schedule. I've got to guard my free time. I've got to guard my family time. It's an appointment. I, I have an appointment with my wife. I have an appointment with my kids. And I'm not going to let anything interrupt those things. I have an appointment with the couch to nap. Really, really important, the life imbalance. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, put it this way. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. But our culture and society says, no, one handful is not enough. We've got to have two handfuls. We have literally fear of missing out. And, and, and what are we going to miss? And so we just go harder and harder, longer and longer, drive more and more and more, and we just can't sit still. And it's the pace that's not sustainable, and it puts us in a cave if we continue too long in it. Here's the second one, comparing ourselves with others. Comparing ourselves with others. That'll put you in a cave real quick. Comparing someone else's post, someone else's highlight reel on social media. That's what they're posting there compared to your ordinary average ho-hum day in, day out life. You know your life better than anyone's highlight reel of what they're posting. Teddy Roosevelt put it this way, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. In Galatians chapter four, verse uh, uh, Galatians chapter six, verse four through five, uh, look at what again inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's words, God's God's word to you and me. Look at what it says. Each one should test their own actions. Don't compare yourself to anyone. Test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. That that you know. What God's called you to, the life that you have is not the same as my life. And so we can't compare. We, we have to, when I was coaching, I put it this way, play your own game. You gotta play within yourself. You gotta know who it is God's created you and, and you fulfill God's plan and purpose on your life. You can't compare it to someone else's, maybe even in the same occupation or in the same family or, or anything. You can't compare because when you compare, it steals your joy. If it doesn't steal your joy, I guess the opposite end of that was this, it puffs you up full of pride. Because you either feel like you don't measure up, steals your joy, or you feel superior and someone else inferior, and now you're prideful. Both of them are, are very, very negative consequences. And, and so I want to share with you a word that I've learned. <laughs> you ready for this? Uh, because again, so much, so much time we spend just looking at other people and what they're doing and, and all these things. Uh, and and we've got to carry our own load. You know, God doesn't give us grace for everything else out there, everyone else's situation and problem and all. And, and I came across this phrase, really, really helpful, selective ignorance. Selective ignorance. You know, I used to, I used to be like a news junkie of politics and all that stuff. And what I found was, especially in 2020, shutdown and all that, a lot of time at home, the more news I watched, the worse I felt. The, the more news, the, like the bluer I got. And, and so now I, I, I really limit, I, I, I want to be informed, but I, I don't want to hear what someone thinks about the news. I really limit how much news, because most all the news is not good news. Not, hey, look at this, is great, what happened? It's bad news all the time. I, I, I try to read and I give myself just a limited amount of time. And even when I view news, I get very limited time and scope. 
and, and I, I never watch it live because I want to fast forward through because I just don't want to take too much of that negativity in. I want to be aware, but I don't have to know everything. And, and I think that's true for social media. I think that's true for all different areas of our life. We ha- have to learn selective ignorance. There are some things I just want to still be in the dark about. I don't need to know it all. I've got a load, every one of us, we've got to carry our own load, not let other people put all kinds of other loads on us. Here's the third way that we end up in in a cave, ruminating and self-talk. That's kind of a clinical word, ruminating and self-talk. What what is ruminating? Ruminating, the best way to explain it is kind of like a cow that chews its cud. You know, they'll eat and they'll swallow it and then they actually bring it back up and that's ruminating. It'll bring it back up and chew it some more, swallow it and bring it back up and chew it some more. And listen, every time you bring it up, it's grosser than the last time you swallowed it. That, that's what ruminating is, mentally just bringing it up over and over and the mind going back to it. I call it grinding, <laughs> grinding on something. Sometimes, you know, my, my wife Susie, she, she gets a little, you know, she's aware of this and she's like, baby, you've been grinding on this mentally? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just I have just over and over and over, ruminating, and self-talk. Brian Tracy again, another author, put it this way: ninety-five percent of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Think about that. Ninety-five percent of your emotions are determined by the way you talk about yourself to yourself in your head. Ninety-five percent. It's shocking. That's why, again, God's word. This is stuff we do to ourselves. Nobody did this to us. This is stuff we do to ourselves. God's word in Philippians chapter four, verse eight and nine, I've shared this before, the Philippians four, eight filter, but, but look at what it says we should be thinking about. If you're gonna ruminate on something, not negative self-talk, ruminate on, ruminate on this, Philippians four, eight through nine, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. Did you see that? The God of peace will be with you. God gives you and me peace when we ruminate on the right things. Pure, noble, true, good, wholesome think on those things and you know what the byproduct of that is peace but but old elijah he's just he's just in that cave just kill me because he's thinking about all the he's he's just ruminating on that one negative comment on his post by jezebel that's all that that's all that he hears over and over and over fourth way that that we end up in a cave just like, or under a broom bush, you know, like Elijah. Inability to process pain in a healthy way. See, this is life is hard. It's hard here on this planet. So, some people think that life's supposed to be perfect and great and tranquil and awesome all the time. No, that's called vacation. That only happens like a week or two every year. That's not life, that's vacation. And, and, and so there's gonna be pain. And, so many times we, we don't process that pain the right way. That's why in, in the shutdown, especially in 2020, mental health, I mean, I mean, the statistics jumped like through the roof 
because there was, there was pain. There was emotional pain. I'm not talking about just physical pain from, from and there certainly was that from COVID, but, but the emotional, the mental pain, people losing their jobs, people being forced to can't go outside, you know, just there's a lot of pain. And alcoholism went up, drug addiction went up, suicide went up, just mental health in general, depression, all these things like through the roof because we don't process our pain in a healthy way. But, but so many times when it comes to pain, what we need to realize is not only does God want to help you and help me, but that there's really purpose in the pain, that God can use even the painful things in life to help other people, to help someone else who's coming behind us. In fact, that's the promise when we, when we process the pain the right way. That, that's the promise of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at what it says. God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. God's speaking through Paul the apostle. He's like, you know what? That my pain has a purpose. is to help someone else. And that's why in person I'm sharing much more details about my own personal story because I, I believe some of the things that I've walked through uh, as a man, even as a pastor, in terms of depression and anxiety, I, I think by sharing that it'll help other people to talk about it. It'll help other people to navigate through. It'll help other people to receive God's grace and God's healing. Instead of, again, that stigma, we want to remove that stigma on these topics. So there's purpose in our pain. Let your suffering help someone else. That's what Paul said. That's what scripture, let your suffering help somebody else. I know what you're feeling. I've been there. You can get through this. This is not the end. You're not alone. You're not the only one that's ever felt this way before, that, that, that's, that's felt the, the walls closing in. You're not alone. Here, here's the fifth way that we put ourselves in a cave. Again, not, we're not talking about chemical imbalance. We're talking about stuff we do to ourselves. Fifth thing is isolation and loneliness. Do you know right now all kinds of different surveys and uh, uh, all different kinds of research are saying right now on the planet, this is the loneliest generation there's ever been on planet Earth. The loneliest. In fact, I... I I was reading some information someone shared with me recently. Gen Z, do you know what the greatest fear is of millennials? More than a cancer diagnosis, loneliness. Fear loneliness even more than being diagnosed with cancer. And, and, and what did we just come through? Intense isolation and loneliness. We were lonely before 2020 shutdown, and that even just pushed us deeper into it. Isolation and loneliness. See, it's important for us to realize you and I were made for each other. We were made for people. 
Think about it, in, in creation itself, in the beginning, God created, and, and when you read in Genesis, God creation, at the very beginning of Genesis, God creation says, it's good. God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Uh, until he makes man, and then the first time that something that's not good, this is before sin even entered into humanity, is loneliness. He says it's not good for, for man to be alone. See, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin, it was solitude. Let me say that again. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin, it was solitude. It's not good for man to be alone. And, and, and this is what Elijah did. He left his servant when he needed his servant the most just to have a friend, just to have somebody to talk to. He left him behind. And he isolated himself. And, and, and he cut himself off from, from people that cared. And it got worse. It got, didn't get better. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. It was solitude. And again, here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, right in the Bible. We have it there for you. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And, and for many, in the midst of this difficulty, that's what they chose. Uh, that, that in the midst of, of, of COVID, coronavirus, you know, uh, pandemic, all that stuff, I'm going to, you know, we, we, we call it social distancing. It should have been called physical distancing. Really, really poor verbiage there and communication. I, I think leaders did the best that they could, but it was awful. Social distancing, in other words, don't talk to anybody. That's what social distancing is. Instead of, we need each other more now than we ever did. Physical distance, yes. Social distance, absolutely not. Look at what Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says. And so many Christians forgot about this in the middle, forgot about the priority of being with the people of God. We, we were closed as a church when we, when we had to be. But, uh, but as soon as we could, o- we opened again under, under those requirements and capacity restrictions. And all. Why? Because look at what the scripture says. Since we are all one body, we belong to each other. We belong to each other in the body of Christ. And each of us needs all the others. That's kind of become real fashionable right now in some segments of Christianity. I don't need anybody. Just Jesus and me are Okay. That is, that's a total falsehood. You've got to twist up all kinds of scripture. We need each other. We belong to each other. In fact, the Bible goes on and it says that God places each one in the body of Christ as he wills. Did you know it's not even up to you and I to choose a church? It says he places us in the body of Christ where he wants us to be. And we need, and, and the eye can't say to the hand, later on it says, I can't say, I don't need you. The parts of the body can't say, I don't need you. That's a violation of the Christian faith to think we don't desperately need one another. We need each other. God created you and me. God created humanity as social beings to to just flesh and blood be there for one another. We belong to each other. Each of us needs all the others. I need you. You need me, and we need to receive God's grace to fulfill the instructions of Scripture. Here's the sixth and the final one, spiritual warfare. 
Sometimes it's just straight out spiritual warfare what's happening. Sometimes it's just a spiritual attack on us at a time of vulnerability. I think that's why uh, they, they call the Monday after Easter blue Monday for pastors. It's because after that high, depleted, you know, so much focus and all, and, and, and you're physically exhausted, you're spiritually exhausted. Uh, I, I've learned a lot over the years. That's why we were closed on Monday to just let myself and the rest of the staff, and we had a half day on Tuesday, so a day and a half just to replenish ourselves, just to refresh ourselves. And it was about Wednesday before I kind of felt myself again after Easter. But sometimes it's a, it's a spiritual attack when we're vulnerable. The most vulnerable that I am any part of the week is Sunday right after I'm done preaching on into the evening, really. And, and Susie and I have learned just to really guard that time. I, I'm just like, I, I'm depleted. And, and we have to guard our... And, we do get together with some folks, you, you know, we have some friends and, and a lot of times it's not good for me to be alone, but I always make sure that, that when we get together with folks, those are folks that kind of replenish, they don't drain me more after I've been totally drained. They're, some relationships kind of drain you, some replenish you. They need to be replenishing relationships. Spiritual warfare. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says. Be self-controlled and alert. You've got to know yourself. You've got to learn. You have to be alert with what's going on around you, your surroundings. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. And, and here's the thing. A lion in its natural habitat is the color of the grass. It's not real super green grass. He, he blends in. He's not going to come right at you. He's going to wait till you're weak, till you're vulnerable, when you're isolated, when, when the rest of the herd is is going in one direction, but you're hanging out on the fringe. Boom. That's when the attack comes. And we need to understand that. We need to be alert and self-control. And even later on in the New Testament, we've talked about this. We did a whole series. I think it's on our website still called SWAT, Spiritual Weapons and Tactics. In Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about our, our, the armor of God, here's the thing. Put on the full armor of God. God's not putting it on you. God's not clothing you in the armor of God. He's not clothing me in the armor of God every day. You and I have to make that deliberate, intentional action to put on the armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Right now, understand this. The devil is scheming to destroy you. He is scheming right now to destroy me. That's what he wants. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes, that's one of his references to the Satan, to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. So understand this, the devil's got a plan for your life. It's to end it. It's to destroy. And if he can't take your life, he will destroy you. He'll do all he can to destroy you emotionally, mentally, physically. Understand that those schemes of the enemy and put on, you have to decide, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you don't, you may find yourself in a cave. And it may be a cave of your own making. It may be a cave of my own making because I have done this to myself. Just like Elijah did. 
that, that he let his guard down. No, just kill me. I'm no better than my ancestors. He was comparing himself even to those who came before. I'm no better. Just daring to compare. There goes his joy. There goes a sense of fulfillment of what God called him to, not his ancestors. And so here's the thing. Let me kind of summarize these six points that I've shared from Elijah here as we're starting out. We're going to pick it up next week as we're talking about coming out of the cave. But, but this is decisions, these are actions that we take thought pattern that put us in the cave that we do to ourselves. God has given us authority, but we have to use it. God has given you and I spiritual tools, his word, prayer, prioritizing the people of God gathering in his name. But if we don't want this anymore, we don't pray, we don't gather, we're putting ourselves in a cave. And that's not something anyone did to us. We did it to ourselves. And so, yeah, there absolutely are sometimes chemical reasons for people to be depressed and, and battle anxiety but there are also some real practical solutions to when it's not a chemical thing. It's a cave we put ourselves in, just like Elijah did, just like the author of Lamentations did, <laughs> just that they find themselves in, just not utilizing all that God's given to us. God has given us authority, but we have to use it in order to be free and live the life of freedom that he's called us to to fulfill his plan and his purpose for our life. Real, real practical series that we're in. Out of the cave. That's what we're going to pick up next week on gave you six things that we do to ourselves to put us in the cave. Next week I'm going to give you five things looking at Elijah's life of how we can come out of the cave. Right now what I want to do is I just want to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us. Straight up, honest, brutally honest, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for not utilizing the tools that you've given to us. Forgive us for what we've done to ourselves. Lord, that we're living below. We're not living the freedom that Christ came to give us when it comes to our, our mental health because of decisions that we've made, because of actions that we've taken. God, we need your help. So Lord, we know that if we confess to you, you're faithful and just, you forgive us, cleanse us. We need to be cleansed. God, forgive us for putting ourselves in a cave. And right now, Lord, we just lean on your Holy Spirit to walk out of the cave. We trust you with our life. And, and Lord, we're going to allow you to lead us by your Holy Spirit and to do what you've put in our hands, to use the tools you've given to us to live a life of freedom that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead so that we would experience. In his name we pray. Amen.